with me yet. When we realize that we're under construction, we give each other grace and we realize that everyone's growing. Think about the people who make you the most frustrated. Oftentimes it's because you're seeing where they're under construction. You just want it to be nice and neat and tidy, perfectly decorated, but they're not. And neither are you. Neither am I. We're all in process. And you know what? God is not freaked out the fact that we're all in process. Pastor Daniel reminds us today that God is not freaked out that we're all in process. He knows exactly who we are and what work still needs to be done. And yet he wants to use us. He wants to use you. And he wants to use me. He knows you need some work still. He knows you're not going to hit a home run every time. But he also knows that his power at work within you together are capable of extraordinary things. Now, here's Pastor Daniel as he continues his message, Jesus is Worthy. We respond. I believe that one of our core values as a church, as individuals, should be that we trust in this biblical God, that we put legs on our faith. And I believe in Jesus, but I don't trust him with my finances, so I'm not generous. I believe in Jesus, but I don't trust him with my children, so I'm trying to manipulate them to get them where I want them to be. I trust in God, but I do X, Y, and Z because I really don't trust him. I trust myself. I believe that God, and listen, if you're here today, I'm not talking down on anybody. I'm living with you. Every single moment of my life, am I going to trust God? I believe, am I going to trust him? Am I going to have that settled confidence in the depth of my soul? that could keep my mind in perfect peace in the midst of a storm? Can I be like Jesus when, when the tempest is going on all around me, the storm is raging, I could be resting and sleeping in the boat? The disciples, they believed in God. They didn't trust that God had this. Jesus, what are you doing? We're perishing. They cried out. And Jesus woke up. I, was, I wish I could have been there to see that. Like, did he kind of like wake up the way we wake up? Like, you just like pop an eye open, you know? I, I always just imagine Jesus just waking up with this Jesus smile, you know, like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you ever wonder what Jesus waking up looked like? I mean, was he just kind of like, you know, like, I mean, did Mr. Sandman come and visit him too? I don't know. I imagine so. But we trust in the biblical God. As a church, we're going to live trusting in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to do things crazy because we trust God. We're going to take steps of faith as a church because we trust God. If we believe God's leading us there, even if it doesn't make any sense, we're just going to take the step of faith because we trust in a biblical God. We trust in a God who has everything under control. We trust in a God who knows the beginning and the end. We trust in a God who can turn five loaves and two fish into a feast for 5,000 men. We trust in a God who defeated death. We trust in a God who creates and sustains everything in whom we live and move and have our being. We trust in this God. And the way we trust in God as a church 
is by trusting him in him as individuals. A church is a called out assembly of people. So we trust in the biblical God. Next, we are all in process. We are all in process. Now, notice the word all is underlined. What does all mean, brothers and sisters? All. So deep. I love deep theology. What that means is that not one of us here today has arrived. Not one of us is not under construction. Yes, God has given us a certificate of occupancy, and he's chosen to indwell us by his Holy Spirit, by faith, but there's all sorts of renovations going on. This is one of our core values. Why? Because it speaks about both grace and formation. It speaks about grace and formation. Because we're all in process, we do not expect everyone to have it all together. Actually, quite the opposite. Our expectation is that none of us have it all together. And that includes me, our entire pastoral staff. None of us have it all together. We are all growing. And because everyone is growing, we are gracious with one another in our growing edges. I think this is an important core value because we are all in the process of sanctification. We are in the process. We've been saved. If you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you have been saved. But as from a position of being saved, you are also in the position of experiencing this new redemption. And each single day, we should see ourselves growing. And we value that. We realize all of us are growing. So if if I do something that you're like, I can't believe Pastor Daniel did that, you should be like, actually, I can believe he did that. Because Pastor Daniel's in process. When we do something wrong, when your loved one, the person sitting next to you do something wrong, you should say, I never expected them to be perfect in the first place. Guess what? I'm not perfect. God ain't finished with me yet. When we realize that we're under construction, we give each other grace, and we realize that everyone's growing. Think about the people who make you the most frustrated. Oftentimes, it's because you're seeing where they're under construction. You just want it to be nice and neat and tidy, perfectly decorated. But they're not, and neither are you. Neither am I. We're all in process. And you know what? God is not freaked out the fact that we're all in process. He actually likes it that we're in process because In Christ, we're all growing, every single one of us. And guess what? You're not what you used to be. You're not what you're going to be tomorrow. And we just give God thanks that we're here today, right now. And that frees us up from putting expectations on people that are absolutely impossible for them to live up to. Don't set up people for failure, expecting them to be what God never intended them to be on this side of heaven. God On this side of heaven, he expects people to be in process. When we're in heaven, there's not going to be any of these issues because we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be perfected. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. You can turn there if you want. The book of Philippians It's in the New Testament, one of Paul's shorter letters in between Ephesians, Colossians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, man, he put a lot of ink into the New Testament, one third of it. Maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. If you were to rank, they're doing it right now with basketball. Who's the greatest basketball player who ever lived? Is it Bill Russell? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Kobe Bryant? The Apostle Paul, if we had one of those kind of discussions, would definitely be on that list. Just, I mean, the, God just used the guy. He's like, look, I haven't already attained. I'm not perfected yet. I mean, this guy is writing inspired texts that we read and we say, Lord, conform me to this. He's being used by the Spirit to write inspired texts. He's like, I'm not there. I haven't already attained. I just keep going forward. I press on. I press on. I press on. We're all in process. The Apostle Paul is in process. Peter, James, John, all throughout history, you and I. And that's why we need to be gracious with one another And we need to learn how to persevere because none of us have arrived yet. See, that's the problem with being judgmental. Judgmental assumes that you've arrived. It assumes that you understand everything about everything and that it assumes that your way is the right way. And people who feel that their way is the right way don't need Jesus because they've got it all dialed in. And that's why as a church, no judgmentalism, We're all simply learning how to respond to Jesus together. We know God's word is truth, but we also realize that in some ways, maybe our interpretation of God's word maybe doesn't have it all dialed in either. We do our best. We're gracious with some differences because we realize that we're all growing. We're all learning because we're all in process. Third, we celebrate God using us in extraordinary ways. We celebrate God using us in extraordinary ways. We chose that word celebration or celebrate purposefully because I just don't think that grumpiness and Jesus really go together. The church has gotten a little dour, not crossroads specifically, but as I watch Christianity, it's like we almost value like a kind of like a seriousness when the fruit of the Spirit is joy. The Bible is all full of celebration. I mean, if you, if you don't believe me, come out on Wednesday nights as we're looking at all the different festivals that God put in, put in to the family of God. And, and, and what's amazing is that Satan, I mean, does, is anybody attracted to joylessness? Is that ever attractive? No. Now, I'm not saying you got to be happy, happy, joy, joy, smiling with a fake smile. That's not what I'm talking about. But we should, as a family of faith, celebrate what God is doing in people's lives. We should celebrate the steps that God has people taking. We should celebrate that God uses knuckleheads like us to do things that we never even dreamed we'd be able to do. So as a core value, we just celebrate God using us in extraordinary ways. I think about our high school and middle schoolers yesterday who went out with Project Help. That's extraordinary. Teenagers going out and serving on a beautiful day. They could have done anything else. They could have sat inside and played marathon video games on a sunny day. But they went out to serve. I think that's extraordinary. I think it's extraordinary when people give of their time to love on people. I think it's extraordinary that people give up their time on a Sunday to go teach kids' church, greet 
I think it's extraordinary when people volunteer to answer telephones, to disciple younger people, to invest in God's kingdom through their prayers. We live in a world where everything has gotten so, you know, dramatic and enormous that we forget that the extraordinary things are just giving love to people. That's extraordinary. And as a church, we're going to celebrate that. You notice we do a lot of storytelling here. We're always bringing up people on video. Each worshiper, we celebrate how God's doing different things. Because one of our core values, we want to cheer each other on. We want to be like, man, right on what God is doing. We celebrate God using us in extraordinary ways. Isn't that one of the themes of the Bible? God taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things to them. I love the Bible that way. Because Moses, he gave five excuses. Go read it in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Five excuses. Doesn't want God to use them at all. And we see him as a pillar of the faith. Abraham, he's lying in Egypt. He's lying to Adonai Zedek, and he's a pillar of the faith. David, he's a murderer and an adulterer. And he had this thing about cutting off people's foreskins, which I still can't understand. But he's a guy that we're like, wow. And then you got Gideon, the great warrior who, who goes and takes him on with 300 people. He's hiding out, threshing wheat in a cave. Freaked out. And then there's Peter. He can't get anything right until he got filled with the Spirit. And there's people who want to say that he's the Pope of the church. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways because he's an extraordinary God and he digs ordinary people like you and me. So we celebrate that. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read to you. I want to pick up in verse 32. This section is called commonly the hall of faith or the hall of famous faith. I'm going to skip over all like the big people that we already always think about. And I just want to get to the end of this in verse 32. Look what it says. And what more shall I say for the Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. In the middle of verse 35, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might attain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now listen to this, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having attained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I love that. All these different ordinary people, normal folks, average folks, who saw all these extraordinary things because they believed in an extraordinary God. God is doing extraordinary things through so many of us. God is using you all in such profound ways. 
And we celebrate that as a fellowship. We love seeing God use people in extraordinary ways. I was thinking just this week about my friend Larry who went home to be with the Lord 40 years old after a battle with cancer. Heartbreaking. On three different occasions, Larry pulled me aside and wanted to talk about his memorial. He just said, look, I just want you to give him the gospel. I want you to tell him about Jesus. They're here. They're there for me. I want it to be about Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, that's extraordinary. It's, ex- it's extraordinary. Out of all the things that could be said, he's like, look, it's not about me. I just want people to, if, if, if I die and people come to know Jesus, I'm good with that. That's extraordinary. That's not little. I mean, it's very easy. I want everyone to cry for me. I want everyone to be there. And if they're not there, I'm going to be looking down from heaven. I'm going to be very upset that so-and-so wasn't there or so-and-so said that thing. No, it's like, I just want people to know about Jesus. To me, that's extraordinary. That's powerful. That's God, the life of God and the soul of a person being used. We celebrate God using us in extraordinary ways. I expect to hear extraordinary tales through your life. I expect that because we believe in an extraordinary God. We trust him, and he likes to use people like us. Next, we always give love even when it hurts. We always give love. You notice that word always is underlined. What does always mean? Always, that's right. We always give love, even when it hurts. This speaks, of course, to our ethics. As Christians and as a church, our ethics is love. And not just, you know, kind of warm and fuzzy feeling love. We, we appreciate that. But we realize that love is not, you know, ooey-gooey, warm and fuzzy all the time. Sometimes love just hurts. Love is a disposition of the heart. It's a position of the will. It just says, look, I'm just going to give love. It doesn't matter how it feels. I'm not going to let my feelings dictate how I treat people because Jesus has something greater for me. Our ethics is an ethic of love. It always is. You guys have heard me say it. You've heard Pastor Bill say it for years. We believe in being radical in love. We are terrorists in love. And I, I, listen, I use, that, I use that phrase. I realize it's provocative. We are jihadists. Our holy war is love. Let's just take the word, let's just take that word jihad. Let's take it back. Because jihad, maybe in some people's minds, it's bombing people and hurting people. Jesus, he was on a holy war. And that holy war was to usher love into the world. And he did it through his own sacrifice. So I don't mind. I'm a jihadist in love. I'm going to love everybody, even when it hurts. I'm not going to let myself off the hook when it's hard to love. Because Jesus did not let himself off the hook, knowing what his love and God's love would do for you and I. Listen to John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Wow. Jesus said, look, my commandment, you love other people the way I've loved you. 
And you might say, well, well how, how have you loved me, Lord? Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's why I wrote down, we will always give love even when it hurts. I've never been crucified. I can't even imagine. Separate out the spiritual dimension for Jesus of on that cross, experiencing hell on earth as his father turned away from him. I can't even fathom that. Just the physical, the physical pain. I remember when the Passion of the Christ came out before Mel Gibson went totally loco. I remember watching that movie and just being, it was the most brutal, violent movie I'd ever seen. Because when you watch violent movies, the violence is spread. You know, it's like there's violence everywhere. But watching The Passion of the Christ, and I don't know that I would recommend the movie necessarily, but watching it, it's like you're watching one person be continually brutalized. And every once in a while, they would pull you out and take you off on like a little side tangent so you can collect yourself again to go back to this one person being violently brutalized. That was the love of God right there. I can't imagine the pain that Jesus felt. I can't even fathom it. But that's the love of God. That's the lengths that God's love will go. As I loved you, go love one another. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We are going to find ways to give love even when it hurts. We're going to say, God, we're going to do without certain things so that others who are in serious need will have the things that they need. We believe in an ethic of love, of self-sacrifice. Why? Because we can't call ourselves Christians unless we do. If you're in here today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have accepted God's standard of love, the cross. If you're in here today, maybe you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you're here today and you're thinking about this whole Jesus thing and you're thinking, I can't imagine that God would love me that much that he would die for me. I realize you can't fathom it because nobody else ever would. But Jesus does. And Jesus died on a cross for you because of love. Because God loved you so much, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would trust in him, no matter who you are or what you've done, because of such a great love as the love of Jesus that he died on a cross for your sins, then you are acceptable to God. That's the gospel. The gospel is that. And we live in response, as we simply respond to Jesus, his self-sacrificial love, and now we live self-sacrificially as well. We give love always, even when it hurts. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel showed us in today's message that every single person around you is still in process. Nobody's arrived. This means we don't expect anyone to have it all together because none of us do. When we know we're all under construction, we give each other grace. Even the Apostle Paul, the author of so many of the New Testament books, says that he hasn't attained it yet. Grace and formation go hand in hand. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. 
I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel continues through the core values of following Jesus next time. As the church, we always give love even when it hurts. Love is not warm and fuzzy all the time. Sometimes love just hurts. But we follow Jesus, and he didn't let himself off the hook when it came to loving us. We follow the example of Jesus in the garden and on the cross, and keep loving others even when it hurts. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.